0: I'm joined in the studio today by Anasur Rahman, Professor of Rheumatology at University College London Hospital and one of the authors of this week's BMJ clinical review on fibromyalgia. So Anasur, what what exactly is fibromyalgia?
1: Fibromyalgia is a very common condition which is associated with widespread pain throughout the body. And when I say widespread pain, I mean, mean something very specific by which I mean pain in the back and all four limbs usually, certainly on both sides of the body and above and below the waist. And it has to be chronic, so it has to be present for at least three months. So we're talking about people who suffer pain every day in widespread areas of the body for at least three months. And some of those people, not all of them I stress, can be said to have fibromyalgia. And the main features of that are, as well as the pain, they feel very tired, and they have very unrefreshing sleep and some of them may have other symptoms like tender points on their body or forgetfulness. So if you like it's a symptom complex rather than something where we know a specific um, biomedical cause.
0: You mentioned it's common, do we have any data on how common the condition is?
1: Well, fibromyalgia has been defined, it's important to have a definition of a disease in order to establish the population prevalence. There are a number of definitions, of which the two main ones were by the American College of Rheumatology in 1990 and then in 2010. So using those definitions, they've done population surveys in unselected populations, most recently in Germany and in Minnesota. And the population prevalence is about 2% in most studies. So about 2%, 1 in 50 people have fibromyalgia.
0: And do we know if there are any risk factors for developing fibromyalgia?
1: It's difficult to know that for sure because it is such a common condition. There have been has been at least one genetic study, a genome-wide study, which showed that there may be some genetic input, particularly a locus in chromosome 17. However, I think it will be fair to say that the most important predictors of it are things which are more to do with lifestyle. Uh, Many people with fibromyalgia have problems such as stress, they may have social difficulties, they may have poor sleep. Poor sleep is a particularly important thing. Um, And some people find that they have things to do with their own muscles which predispose to fibromyalgia. And do we know what causes the fibromyalgia? This is a very difficult question because it hasn't been established. I think the honest answer to your question is no, we do not know exactly what causes fibromyalgia. However, we do know some things which don't cause fibromyalgia. It is not a form of arthritis. There are no uh, damaged areas of bones, there are no erosions. It's not like an inflammatory arthritis. It isn't a primary muscle problem. It's not like myositis, for example, or polymyalgia rheumatica, which it sometimes gets confused with. You would not find any problems with the muscle enzymes or muscle biopsies. So if you did any tests on the peripheral tissues, like x-ray scans or blood tests, they would be normal. And that is often very frustrating to people with the condition. So if it's not the peripheral tissues where you feel the pain, what is it? The best evidence is that it's a problem of central pain um, amplification. So as the pain signals get sent from our periphery into the center, into the spinal cord, there are mechanisms which control what level of pain is actually felt. And those central mechanisms appear to be awry in people with fibromyalgia. There is an amplification of the pain and that central sensitization mechanism has been investigated by various means including scans and CSF studies. So if there's something wrong with it, we're not sure exactly what.
0: You've mentioned that it's a symptom complex and sort of a clinical diagnosis. If a GP suspects fibromyalgia in the community, what should they be doing regards to investigations or how to confirm the diagnosis?
1: I think the first question you have to ask is, is it important to actually give a name to the diagnosis? If a patient comes to you with widespread pain and poor sleep, it may be that you don't need to name it for the patient. It may be that what the patient wants you to do is do something to alleviate the symptoms. That may be the most important thing. It may not be important to say to that patient, you have fibromyalgia? However, I personally in my practice have met many patients in whom that alone Is very helpful. Having a name to something tends to take away doubt and fear. It's different to say to somebody in widespread pain, we know it's nothing serious but we don't know what it is, rather than to say we know it's something called fibromyalgia and we know quite a lot about what happens to people with that condition. You can then reassure the patient that they haven't for example got rheumatoid arthritis because you know what they do have and that would be the reason to make the diagnosis. It's not actually crucial in everybody with pain to make it. However, if you think that you're in a situation where to be able to tell a person that would be helpful, you should be looking out for the associated symptoms. So, not just pain, but a patient who has very poor sleep. Many people will say, I don't remember the last time I had a good night's sleep. So they wake up, and even if they have slept, they don't feel refreshed. They feel very, very tired. And this can start to have impacts on the rest of their life. Many people say they have difficulty remembering things or with cognitive function, and they feel very tender if they're touched. This sort of complex of symptoms points to fibromyalgia. Now, as for the question of what blood tests to do, it's very important to recognise that most tests will be absolutely normal in fibromyalgia. So the point of doing the tests is to make sure there's nothing else going on in addition to fibromyalgia. For example, vitamin D deficiency may occur, particularly in some communities here in London. Um, Some patients may have symptoms suggestive of an autoimmune disease, such as rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, but that will be rare, and you will not usually have to do tests for those. Only, if there are symptoms suggestive of those specific diseases. So my advice would be just to do the ordinary routine standard test, UNE, LFT, full blood count, maybe inflammatory markers. That should be enough to exclude anything else going on and only to go to the more specific tests for things like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus if you really have good reason to suspect those diseases.
0: And when should a GP be thinking about referring someone onto a specialist such as a rheumatologist
1: Yes, I think there are a number of situations where that would occur. Certainly, with the prevalence being 1 in 50, not all of these patients either should or would be referred to a specialist. It's not necessary to do so. I think that there are patients in whom the control of symptoms is extremely difficult. So. In those cases, the GP might want to refer to a specialist. And why would uh, the GP want to do that? Well, they might want advice about drugs which could be used. They might want to access services such as cognitive behavioural therapy or special exercise classes or group pain management courses, which, although they are available in the community, may be more easily accessed through a specialist service. So if it's control of the symptoms, the patient is not happy with their current condition, that may be one situation. The other situation is where the GP isn't quite sure whether fibromyalgia alone will explain everything. So, to give you one scenario, a patient comes to see you and says that they have noticed pain and swelling in their joints, suggestive of an inflammatory arthritis. The symptoms and the signs look like fibromyalgia. You find nothing on examination, but maybe, just maybe, the patient gets those signs when you're not looking at them. Under those circumstances, you might want to get a specialist opinion.
0: If we think about once a patient is diagnosed with fibromyalgia, what sort of information do you give them and how do you explain the diagnosis to them?
1: I personally find it very helpful to go through this in some detail. There is a very useful resource produced by Arthritis Research UK, which is uh, one of the leading British arthritis charities. It's a booklet about fibromyalgia and it's available free in hard copy and on the internet. So this booklet explains the symptoms, it explains how it's diagnosed, it explains the possible treatments. Within the booklet, there is a, a list of typical symptoms and there is a map of points on the body where typically a person will be tender if pressed. My approach is to give the patient that booklet to take home and while they're with me in the clinic, to give them the list of symptoms to read and say, does that fit the way you feel? And most patients say, yes it does. Some patients are astonished and say, this is exactly what my life is like. This then enables them to believe that somebody has made a diagnosis. Now, there's a lot of information on the internet, not all of which is helpful, um, but the Arthritis Research UK leaflet is very helpful. And I explain to people the link between sleep and tiredness and pain and muscle tenderness and how that goes around in a vicious cycle. You can't sleep, your muscles get more stiff and tender, you sleep even worse, and it goes around in a vicious cycle like that. Our aim is to somehow break that vicious cycle and an understanding of what it is, is the first step.
0: Um, and Anna, so can you tell me a little bit about the long-term outlook for patients with fibromyalgia?
1: Yes, this isn't a disease in general that doctors will cure.